The Offseason Podcast is presented by Leinenkugels and distributed by J.P. O'Sullivan. Since 1867, Kugels has been brewing some of the most delicious, refreshing beers around. And right now, get yourself a Snowdrift Vanilla Porter. A fuller-bodied brew with hints of cocoa, coffee, and caramel brought out by roasted malts and aged on real vanilla. The Kugels Snowdrift Vanilla Porter is smooth and creamy, making it ideal for winter. So raise one to winter with Lining Kugels. Welcome to the Liney side. I wasn't sure if we were going to get through that. Glad we, uh, glad we made it there. That's uh, Jacob Lining Kugel Brewing Company, Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Please enjoy your Lineys responsibly. Coming up on today's show, Lions talk. Uh, some roster news coming out and some rumors circulating about uh, one Darius Slay and the future of him. With the Detroit Lions, we do Michigan and Michigan State. We've got some football. We've got some basketball, some bracketology. John Beeline is out in Cleveland as the Cavs head coach, and then plenty to get to in quick hits as well. So without further ado, this week's episode of the Offseason Podcast. ESPN 100.9 FM presents the Off-Season Podcast, recorded every week inside the ESPN 100.9 FM studios, high atop Dow Diamond. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at ESPN1009.com. It is the off-season podcast. Thank you for joining us here on your local sports leader, ESPN 100.9 FM. Matt DeVries, Blake Froling, and Brad Tunney with you inside the ESPN 100.9 FM studios. Josh Baker is our producer in the control room on the other side of the glass, so good to have Josh back with us this week. Uh, you can follow the show on uh, on ESPN1009.com, the new look ESPN1009.com. Uh, scroll down to the bottom. You can find all the latest episodes and the most recent episodes of the Offseason Podcast. You can also find Joe's Disposable Podcast as well, our daily weekday show with Joe Volk from downstairs in the Loon's Ticket Office. You can hear both shows and uh, the most recent episodes at ESPN1009.com. And I do want to lead off with that, I guess, a little bit. It's mm. now mm. it's now live. Months of uh, intense labor went into that uh, with us uh, here at the radio station and now a finished product out to the people, Brad, and uh, a new way to consume uh, all the content we have here at 100.9 FM. That's right. Okay. Blake's been crushing it. I, uh, well, I've i been kind of doing the heavy lifting these Anytime days. I came upstairs, you were all huddled around Brad's computer working on the website, so... Yeah, but the guy who really got us over the finish line was me. Okay, Not sorry. To Not Didn't to mean to indirectly give credit where credit wasn't due, I guess. I mean, Brad contributed a lot. It's a bit of a small man complex. It's okay. But uh, <laughs> Brad was the one who pointed at me when this conversation started for me to start the conversation. <laughs> Anything about the website would be great. Like, w- the functionality of it. It's like, a lot cleaner. Is it good? It is looks, it bad? It looks modern. It's sleek. Uh, we've got team pages for all your favorite SVL teams. It's just a, a better website overall, and and it's only going to get better. We're kind of in the the beta stages of the new website, so if you've got any suggestions for us, let Brad know. Okay, great sell for the website. Go check that out, please, at ESPN1009.com. 
We lead off with the Lions. Snacks Harrison released. Mike Daniels and Ashawn Robinson are free agents as well. Uh, and, and I guess we'll, we'll start there. The, the Lions not bringing back Snacks after what was looked at by many, Blake, when that trade went down as a really shrewd move by the Lions front office, giving up a, a mid-round pick to bring in a guy like Snacks Harrison, a veteran defensive lineman from the New York Giants, and a chance to solidify an already strong group. And now you have Harrison and then the possibility of both Daniels and Robinson also leaving the Lions defensive line. How the mighty have fallen. Mm-hmm. And I really shouldn't say mighty. Because that unit stunk. It never was together. The The unit of Mike Daniels, Snacks Harrison, Ashawn Robinson, Deshaun Hand, and Trey Flowers never played a single game all together last year. So we never got to see what the defensive line could have been in its full potential because all those guys were hurt at one point or another. Trey Flowers was the only consistent performer of that group all season. Adding Romeo Aquara in there as well. So it really is disappointing. And I don't know if you can place the blame on Bob Quinn or just bad luck that these guys can't stay healthy. I don't think it's poor roster building. I mean, you can't count on guys getting hurt or not. But this was supposed to be the best part of the entire team, offense or defense. And now we will never see that come to fruition. And now the defensive line might get even worse with all these guys leaving. Yeah, I think there's there's an element of worry as Lions fans when you see news like this. But at the end of the day, that unit wasn't great. Sure, it was injury riddled a little bit, but I tried to play that card all season long with you guys, and you guys weren't buying that. That Trey Fowler, Flowers still wasn't point. producing, even though he was in the lineup for most of the season. And yes, you know, Snacks was in and out of the lineup, but Ashawn Robinson was thought of when he was drafted as this great addition from Alabama, a big time college football player. And yet there's there's still not a lot of production coming from that group. And now you have you have a chance to to restart because if it was such a great unit, it wouldn't have mattered what the injuries were. Ever, other guys would have been able to step up, and at the end of the day, the, the defensive line for the Lions last year just didn't stack up with the rest of the NFL. No, and then that's a trickle-down effect to the rest of the defense where the secondary got torched because the defensive line couldn't get any pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They had all day to throw. It just made the whole defense look bad, and you could say, well, if the secondary was really good, the quarterback had to hold on longer, then the defensive line would have got more sacks. Mm-hmm. You can go back and forth with that. The, the whole unit was just terrible. So maybe losing guys off a terrible unit maybe isn't so bad at the end of the day. Yeah, maybe just a chance for Matt Patricia to, to restart with a unit and, and try and uh, you know, make something out of, out of nothing. And it starts with, uh, with the NFL Combine coming up, the draft, and then free agency, a chance to, to try and remodel that unit. Brad Darius Slay being shopped, uh, maybe the best player on that Lions defense. And Blake and I talked about this last week when you were out uh, briefly, I think. It, I don't know if the Lions have much of a choice uh, except to try and keep this guy around at at with anything that they need to do, pay him whatever he wants. Because if you lose Darius Slay, this defense goes from not great to, to potentially really bad, right? Yeah, 28th ranked defense last year, and you're losing all the guys we just talked about, potentially, Ashawn Robinson and Mike Daniels too, even though, again, some of those guys were hurt. Some of those guys played beneath what the expectation was or the standard that they had set for themselves earlier in their career. Slay is... I think a top five corner in the NFL, just based on how good he's been in terms of longevity and then just at his peak, I think you could say he's a top five cover corner in the NFL. And this is very similar to the situation the Lions got themselves into with Indomitian Sioux. 
Uh, and it's the same thing I brought up a couple of weeks ago in why they should draft, uh, draft Jeff Okuda with the third overall pick and not entertain a lot of these draft scenarios that are being floated out there because when they inevitably do not re-sign Darius Slay, not because they won't throw him enough money or because of their own wrongdoing, it's just, look, Darius Slay has been drafted by this franchise, has wasted some of his prime years with this franchise. He has spoken very frankly about his displeasure with this franchise over the years. I don't see any reason why he would sign on to another long-term deal for the rest of his prime, mind you, this is the last big money contract he's probably going to receive. Why he would tie himself to a franchise that he has not been happy with for his entire career. And with saying that, like, I don't think it matters how much money the Lions throw at him. Like, if I'm Darius Slay and I put myself in his shoes, there's, I mean, I would rather play for three, four less million dollars a year on a chain, on a, on a, contender than to play for the Lions unless he firmly believes they're a playoff and championship contender, which I just don't think is an expectation um, right now with the franchise. And I, I again, you lose Darius Slay and this turns into, I mean, a, a laughable rebuild on the defensive end from what we thought was going to be a top 10 unit going into next season. They finish in the bottom five or six last year, and now they're about to lose, in terms of name recognition and talent, what, four of their top five players on that side of the ball? I mean, that's I mean, that's nightmare scenario, and you start to just, you really start to take into question the job that Bob Quinn has done because he has been here long enough, and as a GM, your task is to build depth. Your, your task is to get high-level talent, and even if you lose high-level talent, there should be depth or young players there, and right now there just isn't. There's no progress being made in the, what, five years that he's been in Detroit now? It, there, like you said, there's been enough time. Where has the overall growth of the franchise been? It's been stagnant to dropping off the whole time he's been here. It, the Patriot way just doesn't work outside of New England. Well, and just, just explain to me the mindset of shopping Darius Slay if last year you used your first-round pick at a tight end, saying to us that he could help us now, it was a win-now move, telling us that we're trading for Snacks Harrison, which I know did not cost a lot, but is a win-now move, doing all of these things that are win-now moves, the move to fire Jim Caldwell, get Matt Patricia, all of these moves to win now, and then Darius Slay being shopped is a play to win now? It's mm-hmm. not. It's starting to resemble what the history of the Lions is and what the history of desperate franchises are where rumors and news that come from your organization just don't make sense. The rumors that they would trade Matt Stafford make zero sense. The rumors that they would even draft Tua Tagovailoa in the first round don't make sense. The rumors that you would trade Darius Slay don't make sense. You have Snacks Harrison considering retirement at 29 years old playing for your franchise. This is dysfunction in an organization. Well, and I think the goal of the Fords when they went out and got Bob Quinn three or four years ago was that they could avoid a situation like this where you go out and get a fresh mind outside of the organization that has not been involved with the Detroit Lions of old. Go and get someone that will bring in a new philosophy, and it hasn't worked. And so it is a put-up-or-shut-up year. You have to prove it on the field with Patricia and Quinn working together in tandem, building a roster. If it doesn't work this year, then really what are we doing here? Why are we wasting more years of the Detroit Lions middling in, in the, the 
the non-playoff portion of the National Football League, especially when teams have been able to pull themselves out of mediocrity, a la the Jacksonville Jaguars, and come close to making a Super Bowl when they really had no business doing so out of nowhere. There are plenty of uh, of of examples in the NFL recently in the last five or ten years of teams that were at the bottom of the league building through the draft and building through free agency smartly to be able to get back into the playoff picture and yet the Lions year after year continue to be on the outside looking in and it's it's unfortunate and I know you're smiling and smirking thinking why are people putting themselves through this well it's my hometown team and that's just what fans do but at the end of the day Blake's a loser I (laughs) at the end of the day if you are shopping your best player like Darius Slay and Snacks Harrison isn't a Calvin Johnson or Barry Sanders, but he still is a prominent member of your franchise, like Brad said, contemplating retirement earlier than he should in his NFL career, those are major issues that need to come to the forefront of the discussion when it comes to the future of the Lions. And that's not just Quinn and Patricia, that's the Fords as well. Now with Snacks, it's reckless to say he's considering retirement because of the Lions. He has said yes. his mind wants to play his body cannot right now. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with the Lions. Proven in, in all injuries. of the numbers from last year. I mean, he he had a total regression in his career. I mean, he was the best run stopper at the defensive tackle position in all of football by far when he was traded to the Lions in 2018 and regressed to becoming an average run stopper at that position in the matter of a year with the Lions. Mm-hmm. And that, But that's not because of the scheme. It's because he was hurt the whole year playing through injuries. It didn't matter point. during the season when Matt was talking about that, let me tell you. I'm just saying, that's not what, he's not contemplating retirement because of the Lions, because football sure. has destroyed his body, as it does to everybody. And the, the idea of trading Slay reminds me of a, a new regime coming in, and they have an expensive, high-level player that they didn't bring in, and they may want to make their mark on a franchise, so they say, hey, let's get multiple high-end picks and start over. Well... You don't need to start over. Slay is a guy you try to trade for if you're in the Lions position when you need talent across the board. Before we get to the proposed CBA that's going to uh, be voted on here very soon, I believe, and could go into effect next month, uh, Brad, you want no part of that to a conversation that you alluded to a moment ago. I was mad at you guys last week. (laughs) That's why we talked about it, because you weren't there. Good. Keep that out of here. Okay. You listened to the episode. No, but what did I see? The promo. I might have run it. I heard the promo, yes. Do you guys entertain the idea of drafting Tua? We it's it's part of the discussion because it's nonstop out there on the internet right now. It's anytime, no, anytime I, Tua's name comes up, it's Lions right next like, to him. Out of like thirty well credited mock draftees online, one of them has Tua going to the Lions, and it's Mel Kuyper's. That's it. But he's the biggest one. You gonna disrespect Todd McShay? <laughs> oh yeah, he Todd. Todd gonna disrespect Todd. Mel Walter is the OG. Football? Come on. Is he losing it? Okay, is boomer. he losing his step a little bit? I guess we'll find out, won't we? Yeah, I'm not really having that conversation. I'm not having the conversation that Click Four Detroit wanted to start last week. <laughs> yeah, Channel Four. How right. about how about the conversation that the Lions possibly uh, target a defensive tackle with the number three pick? Sure. Do do anything other than draft a quarterback or trade Matt Stafford. Wide receivers. And this and this is just because of the uh the money that's attached to Matthew Stafford. It would just be poor business to spend your top pick on a if they traded Max if they traded Matt Stafford, they should they should burn Ford Field to the ground. It'd be so dumb. Okay. It'd be wasteful. it, It certainly wouldn't be dumb to draft Tua if you legitimately thought you were moving on from Matt Stafford in two years. But if that's the case, Bob Quinn's gotta go then. Hmm. Like he can, that's fine if you want to draft Tua, but you have now been given at the end of Matt Stafford's contract six years to do something here, 
and you have made the franchise worse in mm-hmm. six years. GMs don't get more than six years. Right. And if he thinks drafting Tua is going to prolong his tenure in Detroit, good riddance if you're a Detroit Lions fan. Because if that's the plan, draft Tua, let him sit behind Matt, that's fine in a vacuum. But also think of, okay, it's now taken Bob Quinn six years to do what he's wanted. And then with a rookie quarterback, you're going to give the guy another three years. Like, we just can't sign on to a GM for 10 years that's not doing anything with the franchise. 100%. So I think it, I think that's also very dumb to go ahead and draft Tua to sit behind Stafford. The new collective bargaining agreement proposed by the National Football League uh, is, is out in the public. You can consume it. And J.J. Watt's on record as saying that's a hard no on that proposed CBA. And I'll be curious to hear what you guys think about it. Here are some of the highlights uh, as we get started. Gives the league the option to expand to 17 games, which would reduce the preseason to three. Uh, increases player share of revenue to at least 48%. Maybe that's what J.J. Watt's getting at. They need more share of the revenue. Expand the playoff field to 14 teams. Starting next season, uh, each team only gets one franchise tag. Fifth-year options would be fully guaranteed and tied to performance, not draft position, and it could go into effect next month. Uh, I just ran through the options really quick. I've got four pluses as good things in the CBA. The only thing that I'm kind of iffy on is the the playoffs expanding to 14 teams. What's your initial thought on the, on the whole CBA? Despise the 17 game schedule. Okay. Don't need Why? more football. Uh, it's don't need four preseason games either. No, I agree. I think it should stay at 16, go to three or two preseason games. Okay. Uh, I, I think we get to the end of the season. Guys are so banged up. Careers are so short in the NFL and you're going to add another game on top of that. I mean, that's like the most unanimous thing all these players are against is the 17-game schedule. And sure, it would increase revenue, and sure, we get another week of football. That's great. But, I mean, it's just going to kill their bodies, and I feel like over time the product is going to get diluted. The players are going to get hurt, not want to do this, and the product is going to get worse because of it. They're going to want to continue to do it. Right. Well, They make millions of dollars. No, I'm, I'm saying they will, they will play, but... It's just not what's best for the NFL. And then the simple math of some teams are going to get less home games than others. Not a, not a balanced schedule either. Okay. I think in that sense, you would have a neutral game for everyone, right? How would, it's you, not, how it's would not, you play a neutral game? Everyone plays an England game or a Mexico game. Maybe. Right? I mean, you'd have to do it that way. Which teams already don't like doing, going all the way to Mexico City or going all the way to London. Well, that pays part of their salary. Just because they like, don't like it doesn't mean they shouldn't have to do it. I, I'm, I'm, I'm anti this CBA. One, like, it's, it's great that we're taking away one preseason game for one regular season game. The thing is, you're taking away a preseason game that none of these guys play in anyway, and you're mm-hmm. telling them to play a regular season game. Yeah. If you're going to go to 17, at least start the conversation at cutting two preseason games, if not all of them. Mm. Um just have like one scrimmage you can have one preseason game at the most college football you don't play preseason games in college football i and i get the product week one is not great but these are nfl players no need to play preseason football the the owners may not like having the the openings uh for preseason tickets whatever it may be if you're going to go to 17 games have some respect for your players eliminate the preseason don't 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 cut us short with one with one less preseason but don't you have to have those preseason games for guys that are on the fringe. There are plenty of stories out there of guys that have made teams no, from I, the preseason. I, under, I or understand. Or should that only live in training camp? Well, it can live in training camp, but like you have to make cuts week by week in the preseason. You cut seven guys, six guys a week, whatever it may be. You're telling me the, G, the coaches and the GMs can't cut the 65th guy on their roster because they haven't seen him in three minutes in a kickoff return in real game? Like mm-hmm. They're just not necessary for those things. 
So if you're gonna if you're gonna want to steal another regular season game from your players, have some respect for them. At the very most, get down to two preseason games. You can eliminate all of them for mm-hmm. for I'm concerned. I think most fans would agree with that. No one's tuning in to catch preseason football that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the playoff expansion, I don't agree with either. Again, you go you add a regular season game, and now you're adding playoff games for these guys, which is even more intense, mm-hmm. harder hitting. I don't think you need more playoff teams either. Like yeah. putting in in a 32 team league 14 of your playoff teams. I know the NFL and the NHL do all this, or the NHL and the NBA do this, but in the NFL, the two buys create purpose during the regular season. The divisional round games, when they, they get stacked in one weekend, are great for viewing. The next week is great when you have the same amount of games. The championship games, the schedule fits really well for both viewers, for players perfectly right now mm-hmm. so to add to that feels a bit greedy uh, i don't understand even having a franchise tag i don't get the purpose of it the players hate it mm-hmm. uh eliminate the franchise tag make your franchises make decisions yeah i think the i guess the original intent was for teams that maybe couldn't keep stars so they get an extra year of them right where they have to force the player to stay but I mean, at at this point in time, I don't I don't see the point of that either. Another thing with going to seventeen games, I believe one of the lines in that is there would be a maximum increase in salary for players to like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So it wouldn't go up linearly with how much they're making right now. Hmm. So if a guy's making sixteen million dollars a year, he wouldn't get an extra right. million dollars. He right. would he would only get less. So the players would actually be losing money. And having to play an extra game. That's what, uh, who was on Golik and Wingo today talking about that? Someone was talking about that, but that, that from what the player's perspective was, was the worst part of it, that they're not going to continue to get a fair share, even though they're getting a larger, larger piece of the pie, percentage-wise, revenue-wise, with the extra game. Uh, franchise tag, get rid of them. The other leagues do this far better, where if you get stuck, you can tag players, but in a, in a better way to where you're not holding players hostage because you just don't want to commit to them. Let them test free agency. Mm-hmm. Um, Fifth-year options, again, that's semantics for me. Yeah, that's those are my thoughts on all of them. There you go. This, is, is, it, this is not in this current form. It won't pass. And, and the roster limits, too, are, are funny. So you're going to get two extra players on your practice squad if they go to 17 games, two extra players on your game squad, right? So you go from 53 to 55 on the uh, overall roster, and then suited players – Given the week will be 40, 46 or something like that. five to forty seven or whatever it is, and like, look, just just let fifty five guys dress every week. I don't understand. Like, you're paying all of them anyway. Just allow every team to take all of their players in their franchise and put them on the sideline every week. Yeah, I don't understand the dress, not dress sort of thing. Act, make active, inactive. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess just looking at it on face value, I don't mind an extra game as a fan and a viewer. If you're thinking of it for the betterment and the the health of the players that you're watching, yes, another regular season game that means a lot more is going to be cumbersome and, and burdensome on them. But as a as a general fan, I, I'm I'm going to be in favor of another week of of real football that I can watch and consume that actually matters. So I mean that is something that I I do enjoy. I. I guess that that's a hard sell for me. I guess the preseason is maybe more of the the point of contention, but another week of, of real football is is a good thing. So if I'm if I'm the players, I counter the 17 games, three preseason things. Just that alone, with okay, we go to 17 games, that's fine. Give us an extra bye week and eliminate the preseason. That's where go. we're starting. Yeah. So it's a 19 week season. You get to expand your calendar year if you're the NFL. Expand when you're a part of the conversation. 
17 games in 19 weeks. We get two buys. We'll play the neutral site game. That's fine. But give us an extra buy to make up for it and eliminate the preseason. I just think the NFL has the perfect schedule right now of any sport. They captivate us the most. Their ratings week to week are always but the highest. You can understand they want to, why the addition of a regular season game is so They want more. I know they want more. They're being greedy. Well, why that's do, what business why do you, is. Why do you think it hasn't been changed in so long? Why do you think the playoff format hasn't been changed in 30 years? Because yeah, but they the regular figured season, it out. The regular season changed 40 years ago or whatever. It changed yeah, in, 40 years ago. in the mid-history of, of, the, yeah. of the NFL's existence. I think it's fine right now. Of go. course, I would watch a 17th game, and I would love it as a fan, but I just don't think it's what's best for the league. Well, if they're going to make a lot more money, it is the best thing for the league. It's very similar to the changes that are being proposed in the NBA. I mean, you just try to make the league better. Is this going to make the league better? I think if I'm the players and they said, look, we'll, we'll give you an extra buy and eliminate the preseason, if I'm the players, That's I think— That's not the proposal. You're just throwing something out random. No, I understand, but the players are not going to accept this proposal right. as it is. Clearly. I, I think, would counter with that, and if I'm a player, I'm comfortable with that. I'm, I'm afraid we're headed for a lockout. Hmm. No, I don't think I, we're going to— I, I think, think in that case— be peaceful. I think in that case, the NFL is the, first one to, is the first one to say, okay, we'll stick at 16. I wonder in today's world, in, in the day and age of, of media and, and the way— news travel so fast if you can even survive a lockout i mean the backlash that you would receive as that from the national football league yes the viewers are always going to come back the day you you come back from that lockout but oh i mean you'd be never, totally fine I don't, what do you mean you think just, the nfl would take a hit i just think from a perception standpoint there's going to be so much negative backlash if there is a lockout that it can't survive like a lockout would never run into a season in today's world in 2020 in any of the four major sports. I mean, it, it, did, it, in did, the, in the it did in the NBA like six years ago. years ago, eight years ago. It did in the NHL like 15 years ago. Right, 15 years ago. I'm saying in today's oh. world, it's a lot different world 15 years ago. I, I And by lockout, that doesn't necessarily mean you miss games. Yeah. You can lock out in the offseason. Sure. I, I, I mean, I think the NFL is impenetrable in terms of perception. I, I mean, I think you could – the NFL could take up a whole year and no one's – no one's ending their NFL subscription. No, in terms but of the fandom. owners would never let that happen. No, but that's Someone what you're kind of saying. They would lose so much money. You're kind of saying if the NFL missed two seasons, like some people would be like, well, I'm not watching this year. Missing two seasons? You're, no, you're, two missing, games, you're misinterpreting what I'm saying. Oh. A lockout could never legitimately happen in today's world. Like the, the media and. I think it's a little naive. And fans to think that we're going to actually lock out and. and take money out of owners' pockets and players' pockets, like, people will budge eventually. It's the same thing with minor league baseball. This major league minor league baseball debate, something is going to happen eventually. They're never going to sit there and just let money be, be sat on the table and not take it. Things, right. things this, will happen. Resolutions well, will happen. We have government shutdowns all the time. Well, this whole thing is about <laughs> greed, and then, like you said, if both parties take it too far, they lose money. So it's all, money's on the mine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mine's on my money. Cream. <laughs> Michigan and Michigan State talk football and basketball. We cover all our bases next on the Offseason Podcast. Back here on the Offseason Podcast, here on your local sports leader, ESPN 100.9 FM. We're presented by Line and Kugels, distributed by JPL Sullivan. This year, get yourself a snowdrift vanilla porter. That's Line and Kugels. Welcome to the Liney side. Matt DeVries, Blake Froling, Brad Sunny, Josh Baker Kay. is our producer Josh in the control room this week. 
Where do you want to go first, Blake? A lot of different uh, talking points with both Michigan and Michigan State. Football and basketball, both sides. Do we want to lead off with football and then wrap it up with basketball? Is that sure. the way we want to go? Mel Tucker, uh, first week, week and a half under his belt as a Michigan State head coach. Staff beginning to take shape, and you've got even uh, the, the latest news with some of these hires coming in. Staff starting to take shape, and I think uh, as far as Michigan State fans on Twitter are, are concerned, shaping up to be, be a really good support staff as far as recruiting and experience, ties to Michigan State. I think Mel Tucker is winning a lot of people over early with the hires he's making for his staff. Yeah, I think it's a fairly positive-reviewed staff so far. I like how he brought Mike Tressel and Ron Burton back. I thought those were the two best assistant coaches that D'Antonio had on his staff. Certainly guys that were not part of the problem at Michigan State. Bringing Harlan Barnett back was big. He left for Florida State a couple of years ago. He was one of their best coordinators when he was at Michigan State. So I think that will be a big boost. Uh, a lot of these guys are from Colorado, mm -hmm. which I get. Almost every coach brings from their old staff. That part worries me a little bit, especially on the offensive end, because Colorado was not exactly lighting up the Pac-12 last year. 83rd in total offense, 79th in rushing, 61st in passing, and 100th in scoring. And you bring back a lot of those offensive staffers to Michigan State. Now, most of those numbers are better than what Michigan State put up last year, but that wasn't necessarily the out-of-the-box, you know, big name, big get, acquisition offensively that I wanted to see. I wouldn't say a lot of the staff. He brought two. Jay Johnson, offensive coordinator, and Chris Kapilovich from, off, from the offensive so you, line. So you have a guy that's the offensive coordinator and the guy that's running your run game, which I think are two of the most important positions. So it's not, numbers-wise, it's not the whole staff, but I think in two key positions that I thought needed to be home runs for Michigan State, now we don't know what they're going to do at Michigan State. Mm -hmm. Different talent, but... On paper, I'm kind of in a wait and see. You could argue that the Michigan State offense took a major dip recently just because they didn't have the talent. And you bring in recruiters like Courtney Hawkins, Ted Gilmore, and Harlan Barnett. Ron Burton, rumored to be a really good recruiter as well. That may just in itself do wonders to mm -hmm. just have better recruiters out there to get sure. better talent. Yeah. Maybe Jay Johnson has the ability to be a good play caller. I'll agree with you. The Jay Johnson hire as offensive coordinator for Michigan State didn't rev my engine at all. Reading about Chris Kapilovich, the offensive line coach, sounds like he did a lot with a little or a lot with what he had at Colorado. And then Courtney Hawkins brings in Michigan Ties, the athletic director and football coach from Flint Beecher, uh, a former player as well. I think that's a great move. By all accounts, out of Wisconsin and Madison, Ted Gilmore's a really good hire at mm -hmm. tight ends for uh, being a good recruiter as well. Harlan Barnett and Ron Burton were also known as really good recruiters as well during their time at Michigan State. So I think on the surface... A lot of positives, yes, maybe at the biggest off, uh, assistant coach spot at offensive coordinator, it's it's the least sexy hire out of all of them, which is maybe, yeah, a little bit disappointing. And Michigan State gets Connor Hayward back from yeah. the transfer portal, yeah. their first unofficial recruit in the Mel Tucker era. He decides to pull his name out, which I thought was an interesting decision, but maybe he looked around and say, hey, every other running back basically left, so maybe I'm going to get some carries. Yeah, and maybe it was it had something to do with Mel Tucker. Maybe that's yeah. the first real sign from a current member other than tweets that are being sent out by current and former players of, hey, Connor Hayward decided to come back because Mel Tucker wanted him back. That could mm -hmm. be a very good sign. Uh, we shift gears to basketball, and, and Bradley, Michigan, and Michigan State not having the seasons many had hoped. 
both almost in, in double-digit losses and uh, both out of the Big Ten title conversation. Your Penn State Nittany Lions still right. in that conversation, although didn't they lose it last, uh, a couple days ago to Illinois at home? Not a great loss uh, by Penn State, but still a tough loss. Pat Chambers doing wonders in the Big Ten uh, in Happy Valley. They certainly are. We'll see how they do in the NCAA tournament. You know, haven't played there in a while. It's a different beast. Still second hard. I said that blindly and then wanted to pull it up. Before you look it up, could you name one player on Penn State's team? No. Okay. Nice. That's what I thought. Uh, Four game win streak for the Wolverines, though. Blake first home loss. For Rutgers this season, tough to go to the rack and win, and Ken Palm still loves him. So you like Juwan Howard's first season, even though it started so high, it took a major dip in the middle, but still 17-9. and I think a lot of Michigan fans would have taken that coming in with no expectations for Juwan Howard. Yeah, it has been a roller coaster. Yeah. A lot of that due to maybe a couple injuries, especially with Isaiah Livers, who was unfortunately hurt again. But mm-hmm. like you said, you would take this record right now on the day that Juwan Howard was hired based on having no idea what kind of coach he was going to be. And they've got a tough schedule to finish the year at Purdue versus Wisconsin, at Ohio State. They get a win versus Nebraska, and then they go at Maryland. So I don't see this being a a very hot finish for Michigan, and maybe there's going to be even lower expectations going into March. I think they are solidly a tournament team. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned the ceiling and floor for both teams last week. I will go on the limb and guarantee that they win at least one tournament game. NCAA tournament. NCAA double-A tournament. I guarantee you, Michigan will win at least one NCAA tournament game. Okay, right. What what makes you uh, jump on that train? I just like how they're coming back together. I think Xavier Simpson is starting to play some of the best basketball of his career. I think they can take it easy with Isaiah Livers, get him back fully healthy for the tournament, and I trust them to win one game. That's just that's the bummer that I see with both of these programs is you look at what um, Michigan could have been with a healthy Isaiah Livers all season. They could be a 20-win team already. I think Isaiah Livers is good enough for maybe a couple wins out of these nine losses, turn a couple of those in, and it could be a much different season for Michigan they could be in the top 25 if if Livers is playing and healthy the entire season I think he's that good which is kind of crazy to say after he didn't really show a whole lot in his previous years at at Michigan Mm -hmm. and and to to see what he can do uh, this year if he would have been fully healthy I think Michigan could have been in a much better more cushy spot than they find themselves right now well the other problem is the Big Ten is the Best conference in the nation, and it's not even close. Mm-hmm. So you put Michigan in the Pac-12 or the Big 12 or the SEC, right. their record looks a lot better. That's mm-hmm. why Ken Palm has them in the top 15 of the entire nation, even though they've been unranked for weeks. Mm-hmm. Because their analytics, their, their the advanced metrics say that they are a much better team. They're just beat up by how difficult their schedule is. They're ranked 13th in the nation, according to Ken Palm, with the third toughest strength of schedule. And it's a similar story for Michigan State, where they've both been beaten down, just like every Big Ten team has been beaten down by their schedule pretty much. Mm -hmm. So I think this could be a year Big Ten finally has some sustained success in the tournament with more than just one team. Yeah, Michigan State beat Nebraska on Thursday, so they're now 18-9, and 10-6 in the Big Ten. Ken Palm loves them as well. Top 10 team in the country, according to Ken Palm in the country. I uh, just said that. 18th-ranked offense, 13th-ranked defense. Uh, the prediction for both Michigan and Michigan State is to finish this regular season 20-11. and 11. And I was having a conversation with uh, my uncle, who's a Michigan State alum and big basketball fan. He said so. the same thing about 
Spartan basketball. Can you imagine this team with Josh Langford and Joey Hauser? If Joey Hauser gets his uh, waiver approved, if Langford's healthy, and you know if the situation is maybe different around the program, and you get everyone all in from day one, I mean, it's just it, you play the what if game this time of year. It could have been completely different for Michigan State as well. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's a totally different team. That's probably the right up there with Baylor and Kansas as the best in the nation mm-hmm. because of just the the shot making that Michigan State has lacked at key times this season. When you go back to the end of the Maryland game mm-hmm. and you go back down late against Indiana and getting off to those slow starts on the road a yeah. lot could have been helped by a guy like Josh Langford or Joey Hauser getting you a bucket because Cassius Winston can't just be tasked with carrying you in all difficult spots the entire season because when he has faltered, sometimes there isn't anybody to pick him up. So you have those two guys. Sure, it's a completely different team. Yeah, and uh, the 2015 Final Four team for Michigan State had 12 losses. They finished the season 27-12. and Uh, They had the seventh hardest schedule in the country that year and uh, was a top 15 Ken Palm team that year as well. Despite the 12 losses, that was uh, Travis Trice, that was uh, Denzel Valentine, Matt, Matt Costello, Costello, Gavin Schilling, mm-hmm. all those guys. That's why I thought this team is kind of resembling where they had a couple losing streaks back in 2015 mm-hmm. where they were being written off. Were they going to make the tournament? They were a bubble team at one point. They ended up being a seven seed that year. Uh, MSU, I think, will be better than a seven seed. They're projected to be a five right now according to Joe Lunardi, but I just think the way that they're kind of finishing the year reminds me of that 2015 team. Yeah, I think uh, Brad's boy Graham Couch at the Lansing State Journal had uh, had referenced that as Excuse well me. recently. Is that your boy? That is y'all's boy. <laughs> <laughs> he had, he had uh, likened them to the 2015 team as well, or maybe there'd be some similarities. If this team does go on a run, they would be compared to that 2015 team. ESPN still says MSU is the Big Ten's best hope for a national title, 5% chance to win the title according to BPI, which is more than double any other Big Ten team. They've played the eighth hardest schedule this season, um, and according to the BPI, they're ranked in the top five. Uh, so one of the five best teams in the country uh, right now, MSU sitting on the five seed line, Michigan, the seven seed line, uh, Spokane and Cleveland. Uh, that'd be their first round matchups, right? That's not where the regional finals are going to be. No, Cleveland. they are in the same region right now, according to ah, this. So the South. Okay. So Spokane would be where the first, first game would be. First and Cleveland. second round games. Okay. Yes. Fair enough. Uh, we talked John Beeline next. I'm interested to get the guy's discussion, the transition from a college coach going on to the NBA this obviously didn't work out. It went from bad to worse, and it never recovered. 14 and 40, John Beeline out in Cleveland with the Cavaliers. Talk about that next. It's the Offseason Podcast. Back here on the Offseason Podcast, your local sports leader, ESPN 100.9 FM. Matt DeVries, Blake Froling, Brad Tunney inside the studio high atop Dowd Iman in downtown Midland. Josh Baker is our producer this week. We're presented by Line and Kugels, distributed by J.P. O'Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Line and Kugels, welcome to the liney side. Mm-hmm. John Beeline, quote-unquote, steps down mm. as Cleveland Cavaliers head coach, a mutual parting of the ways at the All-Star break. 54 games as an NBA head coach. He wins 14 of them with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Player played songs with Thug in it whenever Beeline was around. Beeline wanted the team to practice on Christmas Day. Andre Drummond reportedly said he wouldn't opt into his contract if Beeline stayed. Should Beeline retire from coaching or go back to college? That's what Blake poses to the group. Um, Just ripping through all the points that I was going to make. Oh, wow. Sorry, I didn't. All at once. Just... 
<laughs> you want to start over? No. <laughs> Keep going. I mean, was it ever going to work? I mean, I think that's kind of the question. Like, John Beeline going to the Cavs at the beginning always felt weird. It always felt wrong. The guy was 67. Is this just a guy saying, I'm going to be selfish, I want to try the NBA? It probably wasn't in the best interest of the Cavs in the first place to hire John Beeline. Well, they were kind of desperate, and they kind of resemble a college team if you look at their roster and how bad they are. Uh, Cleveland would have been terrible no matter who was the coach this year. Beeline was not the reason they're 14 and 40. Now, I don't know if he would have had any success with a different team. It was always an intriguing option. He said he always wanted to, to coach in the NBA at some point. He had some interesting offensive philosophies. But at the end of the day, he just had the mindset of a college coach in the NBA and that just doesn't translate. You have to treat NBA players differently than you do 18 and 19-year-old kids, even if some you have some 18 or 19-year-old players on your team. Like, or you have some 26-year-old guys like Andre Dumman who act like they're 18 and 19. Exactly. These are professionals getting paid more money than you. It's just <laughs> like the, talking. One thing I didn't add on here is that players complained that they worked on fundamentals too much. Mm-hmm. It's just like the way he ran the team was like a college and – NBA veterans just don't mesh well with that. Was John Beeline the right guy to bring in in Cleveland for a rebuild, Brad? I mean, was that kind of the thought maybe of management with the Cavs? We'll bring in a college coach because it's going to be a college type of atmosphere with a rebuild. We have to build from the ground up, and we'll bring in a guy that doesn't have any preconceived notions about the NBA. I mean, the Cavs are one of the worst franchises in basketball, and they have made mistake after mistake after mistake for years with this franchise. And it began by trading Kyrie Irving when they didn't need to. Um, That kind of spun them into this just terrible, terrible stretch of ownership and management. Um, Trading Kyrie Irving, they used it on Colin Sexton, the pick. Sexton's been awful. Then they draft another point guard last year. Obviously, they lose LeBron. They re-sign Kevin Love for no reason. He's been disgruntled all year. They make a terrible move to sign or to trade for Andre Drummond. They hire John Beeline, who is probably two years past when he should have gone to the NBA. Just, I, I am not, and maybe this is some Beeline bias being in the state of Michigan, but I'm not holding much against Beeline in this situation even though I think he's the one in the wrong here, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think he is the one who is in the wrong in terms of this not working because bad organizations and bad structures of players on teams, and and I'll say bad structure because you have half the team for Cleveland is what Blake mentioned, a college team with Sexton and Garland and all these young bad pieces. And then half the team is disgruntled veterans. Kevin Love, who verbally hated Beeline, like mm-hmm. would passive-aggressively destroy him in the media in Cleveland. Tristan Thompson, also a disgruntled veteran. So you have this mix of young players who constantly want the ball and a mix of disgruntled veterans who want the ball and also want to be traded or bought out. And you just have a terrible environment to begin with. And then you bring in John Beeline, who is trying to run this, as Blake mentioned, not like any other organization in the league, and it's just a terrible mix. I think Beeline should have gone to the NBA a year or two ago. Then he decides to take the Cavs job, which I thought was more of a mistake for him than it was for Cleveland. People in the league always talk about how half of good coaching is just about picking a good organization. And Beeline failed that. We got an F on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I thought at points during this year, I would watch the Cavs and I'd be like, wow, these guys play hard. 
And like you, you could attest that a little bit to coaching. Like, wow, they play hard, and yes, the pieces don't fit, but at times they look okay. And because I would watch them to see what beeline looked like on the sideline, and like at times they looked like a competent basketball team, and I'd given him some credit. And I think he failed in picking a correct organization to make the jump to. And it's unfortunate because he may never get another chance in the NBA, and he may not want another chance in the NBA, but this certainly could have worked for him in the league. He's a good enough basketball coach. We know he's a good enough mind. We saw that at Michigan. I don't think that's the problem. I don't think his basketball IQ was the reason this failed because— No, it's the makeup of the players. Again, that's why I don't blame him. I don't blame him entirely—I don't take away anything from his character or his legacy or anything like that. I blame him for picking the job, one— and for two, not being self-aware enough yes. to make the adjustment. Yes, Brad Stevens was an example that Brian Windhorst used as a guy who came from college and had to educate himself thoroughly. I, I mean, lost sleep before he stepped onto, onto the organization's floor because he knew it was going to be a huge adjustment. And he had to demand respect from players. I think Beeline expected respect. Yeah. and. When you're talking to guys like Sexton and Garland and these young players who are given the keys to the organization post-LeBron, and then you have disgruntled uh, employees and Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson who wouldn't have been happy with Red Auerbach leading the team, right. it's just a terrible, terrible situation. I, I genuinely feel bad for John Beeline. Well, yeah, 100%, Blake. And uh, a couple things on that. I think you, you look back, Billy Donovan could have been another example as well. Leaving the college game, he just got the floor named after him at Florida. He was, he was an icon. In Gainesville, Florida, he leaves to go to Oklahoma City, a much better situation, I understand, but still leaving the college game, being able to adapt. I think that's the biggest thing with John Beeline is it's not his basketball IQ. It's more of just his personality and the way that uh, that he didn't try to to kind of retool the way he approached the game and the way the retool his personality to fit the NBA because, yes, the way you treated – your players in college, they're 18 to 22-year-olds. They need a father figure. They mm-hmm. need guidance. These are grown men and adults. They know how to live their lives, and they just want to be put in the best position to succeed on the floor. Now, if I'm a college team or a school right now that's thinking about making a move, I'm inquiring about Beeline right now mm-hmm. because if, if he wants to come back, he is the best coach available, so to speak, in the free agency market in the college level if he wants to come back. His his game translates perfectly to college. I think his mindset translates perfectly to that game, and he is he is just flat out the best option. He could have his pick of anywhere that he wants to go if he chooses to do that. You brought up Billy Donovan, who's having great success now in OKC and always was a great coach, and I thought we... I, th- I think everyone thought he was going to work in the NBA and frankly just got stuck with Russell Westbrook hmm. and was never able to truly coach because of it. We're finally seeing Billy Donovan able to coach in the NBA now, and he has a team that no one expected to be in the playoffs as like a top six team in the Western Conference. Like, And Beeline gets dropped into Cleveland, and this is kind of the last thing that makes this tough. You have Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson, who are veterans that are are good veterans, meaning they have been good in their career. Kevin Love has been an all-NBA player. And you land with a franchise like that, and Beeline says, we're going to do it our way because you guys suck. Hmm. And like coaches say that all the time. When they new coaches get to organizations and to try to demand respect, they say, look, the reason why you're making the former head coach pack up his whole family and move out of the city is because you guys were bad. That's why he was fired. You're going to listen to me now, and we're going to change. Hmm. 
And you can do that as a head coach, but then you have to win pretty quickly if there are veterans in in the room. Because otherwise, Kevin Love goes, well, look, I've been in this league 10-plus years, and I've won before, and you're not doing it the right way. And immediately, that creates a toxic environment. And and Beeline, like, partly his fault, but again, in terms of his legacy, like, this is going to be a a sentence very deep in the bio of of John Mm -hmm. Beeline, and it should be. Right. And, yeah, any coach would have failed in Cleveland— I don't think he really had much of a choice if he wanted to go to the NBA because of his age, quite frankly. Cleveland, you say he got an F for picking Cleveland, but it's not like 10 other franchises were going after John yeah, Beeline. Didn't he have, didn't he have like hard rumors in the last two years of getting Pistons, to the NBA? Yeah, he interviewed the Pistons. With the Pistons. That's right. Would the Pistons have, I mean, they, they would have been better than Cleveland, but like... Well, apparently Andre Drummond, like you said, was like, yeah, I'm out. Well, Blake wrote it down. I just read it. Yeah, but it, the the quote from Andre Drummond was, "Boy, uh, uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I know, the Pistons' I, coach name, uh, Dwayne, Dwayne Casey. Casey. <laughs> Dwayne call Casey, Donovan Mitchell. Dwayne Casey doesn't belong in the NBA, but John Beeline is making him look like Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson. Which, yes. like, look, man, you're like, like the 50th best player in the NBA. Shut like, the hell up, Andre Drummond. You do not have like the clout I, to be saying these things. And I like, mean, this is the problem of when he was in Detroit. <laughs> dumb back. media members and Twitter people feeding him as if he was a star player. Like, dude, yeah. you're like the 45th best player in the league. Shut up. Mm-hmm. You don't have a, a right to critique your coach. He he is so frustrating. He is on the all-time starting five, starting center for most disliked Brad Tunney NBA player of all time. He is such a loser. Now, if I were the Cavs, I would just be like, oh, you're going to opt out if we keep Beeline? Let's sign him to an Beeline. extension. <laughs> keep him. Like, Extend keeping him. Beeline. And then he'll re-sign been... in Detroit, and Brad is nowhere to be seen for a week. And then you burn LCA to the ground. You'd have two <laughs> lost You'd have two lost arenas between that and Ford Field. Uh, last note, you mentioned... Russ Westbrook and, and oh. Billy Donovan, then you could probably say the same thing maybe about Brad Stevens and Kyrie Irving. Are you now starting to see what yeah, but he they can were do? they were they were good. They were good, I know, but uh but yeah, I mean you're starting to see now without like freedom a, a, of what a, he can a do. locker room cancer in Kyrie Irving and just a weird dude. Yeah. They're they're better than they were last year and talent wise, they're they're not much better. I mean, that's about all of their individual talent succeeding without Kyrie there. I mean, Jason Tatum looks like a completely different human being than what he did next to Kyrie last year. I don't want to. I don't want to fuel the NBA. Uh, let's go dumpster fire here. But I do want to add one. Ask one more thing. You mentioned Kyrie Irving, and it just dawns on me that Heard again, him and Kevin Durant are in Brooklyn, and they're going to play together next year. Like, is this is this a Supposedly. real thing? Are they going? I mean, they'll like by yes, default they will they, play they, together. They will make the playoffs most likely, right? They could be one of the best eight teams in the East. But is it going to work in Brooklyn with them two together? Well, I think I remember talking on this podcast when free agency went down last Maybe year. Maybe probably your favorite episode we've ever done. And stating that the Nets will win zero titles with those two on the team. And it has nothing to do with them individually or whatever it may be. But like, look, Kyrie is constantly hurt and is a, lank, a locker room cancer and is just a weird dude and is not as good as he thinks he is, which is bad to have in the NBA, bad self-awareness. Kevin Durant is coming off an Achilles injury. They gave too much money to DeAndre Jordan. They've been a bad franchise for a decade. It's just it's just not going to work there, and it sucks because next year they're both going to be healthy, and Kyrie's going to want to miss 20 games just to rest, and KD's going to miss 20 games to rest. They're going to be like the four seed, and then... okay. Just like be a the, bad version of the Clippers. They'll be good enough to to get some attention in the NBA, but yeah, they're probably not going to be the I mean, next, talent, talent the next wise, Milwaukee Bucks. Talent-wise, fully healthy, they're the second-best team in the East next year. Okay. But 
they'll probably end up being the four seed and then they'll win one round and that's it. And we'll all be very happy because KD and Kyrie, the two weirdest guys in the NBA, won't win. Last thing. And, and the All Star game. And this is well, okay, two things. Oh, oh let's um, go. I'll let you I'll let you end with the All Star game because you weren't here last week. And Blake and I talked about it a little bit, but um for the Milwaukee Bucks, by far and away the best team in the East this year. For a casual basketball fan like myself, I know Chris Middleton is having a really good year, and Giannis is Giannis, maybe going to be the MVP. What what makes them so good? How are they as good as they are? You look at their record, it's staggering, and yet I don't think the general public can name more than two people on, on the Milwaukee Bucks. You don't need to. It's I know, Giannis. but is that literally it? No, he, there is no, nothing no, no. else around. Like, why are they so good? Brooke how Lope, did they? How do they come into this? Brooke Lopez has been phenomenal for them defensively and okay. gives them another shooting option. Chris Middleton, he's shooting twenty eight percent from three, but that's okay. Right, but he still is better than he's your down boy here. Andre yeah. Drummond. But he is still defensively. Uh, Rachel Nichols puts him in the defensive player of the year conversation. Okay, well, that's just a headline grab. That's really bad. Okay. Yeah, Eric Bledsoe, uh, a career year defensively. I mean, he's got pythons for arms. He's a beast. Uh, Giannis, I mean, just we always talk about high-end talent, right? Like how many top 10 guys do you have? Top 15 guys do you have? Giannis is by far the best player in the world and has been that for two years now. And he is he is as good as peak Shaq was mixed with peak LeBron. Like we're talking about a guy that, I mean, just, just think about it though. Like historically, you think, well, why were the Bulls so good? Why were the Lakers so good? Well, they had the best player in the league. And I don't, I don't think general NBA fans have connected that, like, Giannis is that good yet. He is, he is, statistically speaking, I mean, he's having the best PER season ever by far this year. And he's going to finish that way. So statistically speaking, PER, which is not a perfect stat, best season ever for an individual player ever. And when you combine that with the fact that I thought last year he was the defensive player of the year, too. So you go, okay, best offensive player maybe in, in a decade span, best defensive player in the league right now. This guy is a, a mammoth superstar. And because he plays in Milwaukee, general NBA fans don't know it. And then you combine that with Chris Middleton, who if the season were to end today, he'd be very hard to keep off the all-NBA third team. He's been that good. So that's the 15 a, best players in the league. Correct. So you talk about how many top 15 guys you got in the league. Milwaukee's got number one by far, and they've got another top 15 guy. They've got last year's NBA coach of the year. Uh, so they've got best player, best coach, another top 15 guy in the league. They uh, have Eric Bledsoe, who is fringy all-star type defensively, all defender. Dante DiVincenzo is top 10 in ESPN's real plus minus right now. Absolute stud. Brooke Lopez, great. Robin Lopez, really good. Pat Connaughton. They, they just, right. They have a ton of like B minus players to go along with two top 15 guys and one of the best guys, like statistically in NBA history, and and that's what it comes. Plus the NBA Coach of the Year, like they're forty-seven and eight. Yeah, best. That's plus, insane. Best plus minus in NBA history right now in terms of their net rating. Better by, I think, over a full point and maybe two full points than at any point of the Warriors run. Like the Lakers are forty-one and twelve, and the Raptors are forty and fifteen. Those yes. are the next two teams closest to the Bucks. The Bucks are far and away. Mm-hmm. They have the best record in the NBA, and I'm not. They're not the 2004 Pistons, but that's what I was kind of that would what's made me wow. think about it. Like you have, stop, but again to stop, the general stop, no, stop, I know stop. to the general public, Giannis has not because of Milwaukee and like not American born guy. It's just tough to compute At, that how good he is. Everyone in the United States knows Giannis is the best player in the in, in in the NBA. Everyone knows that. That is not like 
backdoor knowledge now for just NBA insiders. Everyone knows, but that's what I'm saying. It's Giannis, and maybe some people know who Chris Middleton is, but a you lot of people know. don't. Yeah. And then no one knows anybody else. You can't even name the Bucks head coach. Like, that's how underground it feels to general sports fans like me, and yet the Bucks are 47-8. and eight. It's kind of just, it's just crazy. It's, I don't want to like sound blasphemous, but like Giannis is the MJ on this team. He's he's like that good historically. He's he is MJ. Middleton is every bit Scottie Pippen in terms of the offensive player in the context of where he ranks in the NBA right now. If Pippen was a top 15, 20 guy in the league at that point, Middleton is right there. As good as he's playing this year, he's having one of the best shooting years ever mm. for a wing. And then all of the trickle down B minus guys, B, B plus guys on the team, coach of the year. It, I mean, it's and they play every day is the thing. Like Giannis. nobody sits. Giannis plays every game, mm-hmm. and like you said, today's day and age, Kawhi hardly ever plays. Paul George always hurt. AD's missed eight games. Mm-hmm. Guys don't play every day. So when you play every game and you care about every game, you're going to win a lot. Mm-hmm. All star game. Four is yours. What do you want to? What do you want to bring up? The Elam ending. Elam oh yeah, ending. it's great. <laughs> awesome. Were you guys watching live on Sunday? Absolutely. Oh, of course. Not. Nope. No, not <laughs> that, after we started texting you. That was no. the most captivating fourth quarter of basketball. Oh, Baker's, I, Baker's mic is I've open. What's he got? <laughs> I watched it live. There you go. That's what great. Do you, what do you got for? Were us? you in your jollies? No, I wasn't. <laughs> uh, what, what? It, it was actually really good. They played defensively for like what the first time in ever. Yeah, I, I thought it was by far the best All Star game of our lives. Um, maybe ever based on some of the things that I've I've listened to. Um, just like you don't get an environment like that, even in the NBA Finals, even in the Olympics. Like the Olympics is the only thing close. And even in the Olympics, you've got the USA against another team who maybe has one NBA Hall of Famer on it. You don't have this game where there are like seven Hall of Famers on the floor, pretty mm-hmm. much in their prime, playing 110% with screaming underprivileged kids waiting for $300,000 10 feet from the court with no timeouts, which was or no commercials, which was outstanding by TNT and playing to a target score. It, I mean, it was some of the most fun I've had watching basketball since maybe the 16 NBA finals when the Cavs beat the Warriors. Mm-hmm. I think since that it was, it was the, it was the best stretch of basketball I've seen, and which awesome. is unbelievable the, to say in an all-star game, the individual matchups, you always get in the All-Star game, but when they actually meant something, seeing Embiid do the dream shake on LeBron, seeing Giannis get the chase down block, seeing Kyle Lowry flopping all over the place, like those individual one-on-one matchups are something you just won't see in in one game. And like even if you just get bam, 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 bam. Even if you get Lakers Bucks in the finals, you may get LeBron and Giannis one-on-one for like the final two possessions of the game. Like only if it's 109, 108, fourth quarter. Like, you're not getting that for five straight right. possessions, just haymaker after haymaker. And then Joel Embiid against uh, whoever, against Nikola Jokic in the post. Like, it's just bang, bang, back and forth. Elam ending was great. And so the Elam ending comes from Nick Elam, who's a professor at Ball State. Uh, it's been a brainchild of his for like 15 years. The yeah. basketball tournament uses it. They're the first major, like mainstream thing to use it. Yeah. So they've done it for three years now. The first year they did it in preliminary games only, and they've done it for the full tournament for the last two years. And this, this is something that for me, I know all of these progressive ideas are coming through to the NBA midseason tournament. Do we have a tournament play in to get to the playoffs? Do we, 
do all these different things. I think the Elam ending makes the most sense uh, and to do it in the regular season, do it in playoff, like change the way we, we play basketball like pretty soon. Wow. I think it's that good. And there are few holes in this. Like this guy has thought through every disadvantage to having this compared to the current system. And even down to the point where like, look, if you play the Elam ending, you miss out on buzzer beaters, which, which is like a huge high for an NBA game. You miss out on buzzer beaters and it's like, okay, but like, you get a buzzer beater every night then. There's just no yeah, buzzer. Right. Which, okay, you you take that trade off. I think it's spectacular. I think the G League needs to adopt it next year. They've already oh, done some yeah. of these things. That's a good idea. What do we hate about the NBA, though? Like free throws down the stretch. And, and statistically, fouling. yeah, fouling down the stretch. If you're the team behind in the final two minutes or whatever it may be, statistically, that team only comes back like 1.7% of the time in NBA games. It just, it's dumb. It's a waste of time. And if it's a blowout at that point and you get the Elam ending, these blowout games end up end a lot quicker. Yeah, I think it's great. And the one, the one, the biggest argument that I've heard for this was: look, if James Naismith seventy years ago was just like, "Hey, we're going to play basketball to a target score in the fourth quarter," like it's going to be a one hundred to ninety-five, and we're going to play to one twenty-five at the end of the game. There's going to be no clock in the fourth. We're going to prevent fouling down the stretch. That's it. Like that's just how we're going to play. It's going to make sure that you keep game flow the entire time. Basketball will not change in the fourth quarter. And if we had played that way from 1940 on to now, and then we were all of a sudden like, let's add a clock. Like, let's let's add a clock. Be like, no, that's weird. Because mm. we would have played like we have for 50 years with this target score, which makes total sense. What do you do on the on the playground? You play to a target score. Yeah, that was another thing. It, it brought you back to like the playground, you know, up to 11 kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's that's seeing the best of the best do that is something that we've never seen before. We spent a lot of time on the NBA. But what do you I think do, of it, though? Do you like the ending? So Casual I, NBA fan? Yes, I like it. Um, I remember liking it when I saw some things uh, with the basketball tournament mm-hmm. over the summer. I think it's very cool. For the casual fan, and to just refresh everyone's memory, give us the Cliff Notes version of the Elam ending. Well, in the All-Star game specifically, each quarter was worth $100,000. They combined the total score through three quarters, and then in honor of Cody, Kobe, added 24 points to the leading scorer's team. So if it was 195, fourth quarter started, clock's off, you played a 124, first team there wins. Gotcha. Um, and the Elam ending, mathematically, it, it would be different for every game. So yes. if the game was played in the 80s, it would be like maybe 16 points was the added target. If okay. the game was played in the 120s, maybe you'd add like 30 more points. Okay. So I, I thought in the basketball tournament, they played a clock in the fourth quarter, and then in like the final two correct. minutes, yes. they did a target score of seven. So it's correct. kind of like a sliding scale. The elementing could be implemented at any sort of version, the NBA or the G League, potentially, if they would want to adopt it next mm-hmm. year, say, as a trial, you would just have to say, okay, start of the fourth quarter, we're going to come to a decision run the formula, whatever it is, and then that's what you add. Yeah, like the NBA is worried about the James Harden stuff, getting to the foul line. That's eliminated with the Elam ending. Mm-hmm. The, the stuff about there are too many three-pointers shot, which old guys talk about being a detriment to the my game. Dad, my, dad, my dad, every single time I watch a game with him. That's eliminated. Uh, the, lack, the lack of fives in games because you just hack-a-shack them. Teams would not do that anymore mm-hmm. because you can't give up points when there's a target score. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. A lot of NBA in segment three. Had to sneak it in. You knew it was going to happen. It, it didn't sneak in. It, it consumed the entire, what was that, Baker? 15, 16, 27, 46 minutes? Uh, since the start of segment three, I believe it's been over 20 minutes. Let's nice. go. It's good stuff. Like 25, actually. Okay, quick hits next. Let's get out of here. The off-season podcast.
Final segment here on the Offseason Podcast. ESPN 100.9 FM, your local sports leader, Matt DeVries, Blake Froling, Brad Tunney. On Twitter, DeVries underscore Matt, B. Froling, Brad underscore Tunney, and Josh K. Baker. Radio station is at ESPN 1009. And as Blake so eloquently put it at the beginning of the show, go to the new look, ESPN1009.com. Lots of good features. Our podcasts are featured on the homepage. Just scroll down. You can find uh, our latest episodes from this show, Joe's Disposable Podcast, information about uh, all of our SVL coverage as well. Uh, you can find it at ESPN1009.com. We get segment four, our final segment, started with Quick Hits. Tigers play the Phillies in spring training. 105 first pitch. Is that today? Saturday. Saturday. Big. How do you feel about that? Fine. Yeah. A little early. Excited. It's still February. Feels very weird. Still going on. We're talking about player player wellness. Do we really need to be playing a month and a half of baseball that doesn't matter? It's a good point, Brad. Should we just jump in right into the MLB season? (laughs) Probably. Send them to spring training. You had no comment on that? Send them to spring training and let them practice, but we don't need to be playing spring training games like this. No bandwidth given to spring training baseball. So. Oof. No bandwidth. Nope. All right. He found the hole in his logic, so he's just going to excuse himself. All right. Uh, Wolverines are headed to West Lafayette. That's right. Michigan heads to Mackey Arena to take on the Boilermakers. Saturday, 2 p.m. ESPN. Traditionally tough place Please, for visitors to play. If Sparty loses by 30, then hopefully Michigan has to lose by 30. But that's probably not going to be I'm the feeling... Case. A Michigan win here. Okay. Who went in there and won Blake by like kind of a 20? Michigan slap now. Uh, Illinois had a big game there. Like, Iowa dominated had a them. big game there. Probably Penn State. Pur- Purdue is just a weird team. Weird. We don't know what we're going to get day to day. Brad, Pistons. The Pistons embark on a four-game West Coast road swing, starting in Portland on Sunday at 9 p.m. They'll also play Denver, Phoenix, and Sacramento on the road trip. That's about all you want to have to say about well, that. No, they did buy out Markeith Morris today. Okay, they bought out Reggie they Jackson. They recently bought out Reggie Jackson. The Clippers, dumb, got Reggie Jackson. The Lakers, smart, will inevitably get Markeith Morris. You think Markeith Morris is better than Reggie Jackson? Yes. He no. is also, just in terms of role and purpose, better than Marcus Morris. No. Mm-hmm. That's false. Mm-hmm. Marcus Morris, better than Markeith. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's really that close. Mm-hmm. Next. Next. Go ahead. The worst team in the NHL hosts Calgary Sunday night at 7 p.m. <laughs> they don't even deserve to be mentioned. Is that <laughs> Baker, you're going to be in the house, I'm going right? to be there. I'm going to be there. You got one one positive for me on the wings? Uh, they won on Tuesday. Good for them. That's great. That's it? That's all. Okay. Fair enough. I wanted to know why uh, we didn't get any spirit talk in here in, in Quick Hits, so I'm going to throw this in real quick as well. Um London Knights are tops in the Western Conference right now with 78 points. Wow. Western Conference is really tightened up here in the OHL. The Spirit are fourth in the West, two points behind um, Flint. The Flint Firebirds have climbed the standings as well, and the Kitchener Rangers. First and fourth, separated by five points. This could be a fun OHL playoff season for the Saginaw Spirit. That would be big. They're having a good year, huh? They just lost last night in overtime, too, to Barry. So they got a point. But the Spirit? Yeah. 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 Where did Flint come from, Baker? Have they been okay for most of the town? You know, <laughs> stop. From south of us. Yeah. Wow, he's getting in on it as well. We're just not going to humor Matt in any hockey no, talk. Flint, That's fine. Flint's been good. Um, I think it's just they're finally peaking at the. They've right won yes, fourteen in a row. Exactly. It's what? like get out. 
The Firebirds have won 14 in a row. I'm pretty sure. Well, you, you got a schedule there? Wow. That I don't is know why impre- I just said that, but I'm pretty sure that's true. I hope that's true. I'm that's pulling it up. Spewing just nonsense. I'm pretty sure they've won 14 in a row. That would explain Franchise their, record. That would explain their climb in the standards. Their schedule doesn't say W or L. You have to like physically look at the score, which oh. is tough. Oh, no. <laughs> I like how I hit schedule and it takes me to 2017, 2018. Classic. Um, so let's SEO, see here. man. One, Search engine two, optimization. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen in a row. I haven't lost since January 18th. Holy smokes. And they play uh, tonight. Against who? Niagara. I got you, buddy. We play against Mississauga tonight. Oh, yeah, you're right. I went. I looked at the wrong one. I don't got you, buddy. <laughs> Mississauga, what's the team name? The Steelheads. Nice. He clicked on the name. CMU Basketball has a road doubleheader <laughs> wow. at Northern Illinois on Saturday. The women tip at 2. The men at 4.30. Women have yet to lose in Mid-American Conference play, so good for them. Heather Osterley still rolling. Men up and down in conference play, and... Looks like uh, they may be on the outside looking in at one of those top four seeds in, a, in an automatic berth in Cleveland for the MAC tournament. But oh, I thought you were just saying top four seeds in the NCAA. Nope. nope. What, what we got the bracketology? If they go undefeated in the MAC and win the conference tournament too, based on history now and the season that they had, they should be a top six seed this year? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say if they Question don't, mark. if they don't lose a game in conference play and they go and they win the conference tournament, that warrants them finishing the regular season in the top 25. They've been knocking on the door all season long. They would, what? They have four losses. They would have, they have they, four losses. They would be 30 and four or something like that. That would be insane. 28, 29, they started and four. 0 and three. They started 0 and three. Right. Yes. And they're 20 and one in their last 21 games. Yes. I, they, at one point they were 26th in the country. So they're, they're real RPI, realtime RPI.com. They're 17th in the country right now. Wow. That's great. But one thing. Does Ken Palm do women's basketball? No. Probably. Don't think so. Jeff okay. Sagarin used to do it, but now you have to pay through it. Okay. I was talking with Eric Vandefeifer after the game on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Siren. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah. we were talking after the win. Obviously, yes, they're undefeated, but... They they haven't been able to just dominate opponents right. from what it looks like to right. us. They absolutely have not. They have played a lot of close games. It doesn't matter if they're at the top end of the conference, Baker, or the bottom. They've played close games throughout. They've been playing with fire, and uh, Heather Osterley said as much when I spoke with her recently. She said, we're not making it easy on ourselves, but at the end of the day, Sorry. win's a win, and it doesn't matter. So that's uh, that's all that matters. Wins instead of losses, still undefeated. No blemishes in conference play uh, as of yet. Coming up on the radio station this week, and we'll get out of here. Northwood and Ashland, one and three, Brad Tunney. What's the latest uh, regular season winding down? On the radio tomorrow, uh, the Northwood women, big win Thursday against, boy, who'd they play last night? Wayne Wayne State. State. Sorry. Wow, that was a tough one. Uh, Tough Friday today. Uh, They beat Wayne State. That was a big one. Keeps their uh, conference tournament hopes alive. Ashland, number two team in the country. They have not lost this year. 25 straight wins. Um, so even a loss to them, though, and if they beat SVSU next week, they could still sneak in as the eighth seed. That's the hope. Uh, the Northwood men lost. Very uh, disappointing loss on Thursday to Wayne State. They now need one win in their final two games 
Ashland has won eight of nine on the men's side, and then mm. they play SVSU next week, who beat them at their home gym already. Rivalry game two, SVSU, same record, so they'll be desperate as well. And in one Could of the, easily win both, could easily lose both. They need a split, at least. One of the weirdest games I've ever seen in person was that first matchup in December. Lowest scoring oh. game in Northwood men's basketball history. Overtime, and it finished in the 40s, right? Or uh, it was like 54-49 or something. What? It was It was, it was like 42 all at the end of regular, 44 all. Regular Very season. strange. Um, but big week coming up for uh, Northwood men's and women's basketball. Pistons on the air on 100.9 FM in Portland, 9 p.m. No on Dame Sunday Lillard, I don't think, for night. that one. It's tough. Tune in and listen for uh, Derek Walton Jr. signed to a 10-day. With, uh, with the Pistons. Northwood Coaches Show and Tom Mizzo on Monday. Sparty and Iowa take the air on Tuesday, 7 p.m. Northwood SVSU, like Brad mentioned, Thursday night. That's a big you coming? week. Possibly. Those are the games that I like to come to. Northwood Lakeland? SVSU. I'm a maybe. If Blake goes, I'll go. 6 and 8 p.m. out at the Ryder Center on the campus of Saginaw Valley State. And one last note I do want to sneak in. Friday, next Friday, the SVL Championships will be at Bay City Western. 5.30 and 7. Do we know who's playing in those games yet or still to be determined? Who's we'll know tonight represent? by the time this airs. Technically, yes. yes. Well, at the time people are listening to this, yeah. we will know. Okay. Because we're recording on Friday afternoon. That's right. So the northern representative for the boys will be Mount Pleasant or Saginaw? Correct. And the south is already going to be Car- Grand Blank? Yes. Okay. What about the girls' side? Girls' side will be Carbon Ainsworth, uh-huh. confirmed. And in all likelihood, Dow. Okay. Yeah. It'll be Dow. All right. It'll be Dow. But the last SVL note I do want to make is uh, someone made their last appearance on a broadcast for us th- uh, tonight, Dan Zatkowski. Who? Ski has been a... Local legend. Uh, that is only half of it, it <laughs> seems like. Every gym, not just gym, everywhere I go establishment with Ski that has people in it, he knows someone. Humans. Mm-hmm. Any city we go to within our SVL coverage, he has known someone, which I think shows kind of the impact that he has had over his 30-plus years in the area as an athletic director, football coach, baseball coach, teacher, anything he has done. He's just been such a great person. Everybody loves him. Everybody's got a smile for him. Uh, When you're just known by something like Ski, again, it shows how well-liked you are, so... We're going to really miss him on the station. Yeah, I think uh, my goal next week uh, next week is is Fat Tuesday as well. He promised us that he would bring Punchkis in um, on Tuesday. I want to try and get him up here at the studio, and we'll we'll have a, we'll have a segment with Ski mm, next week's show, okay. kind of a little send off for him. Uh, maybe talk to him about some of his favorite moments when he was at the high for a long time. Um, but maybe some of his favorite moments working with us uh, in different capacities here at 100.9 FM. But he is he's kind of like, un- I guess this is unofficial retirement from the Great Lakes Bay region. He's packing up. The house is sold, and him and his wife are going down to South Carolina mm-hmm. just outside of Augusta uh, to be closer to his grandson. Um, and uh, yeah, and so- his son. Yeah, his son. But I think he would he would say he'd like to be down there by his grandson down yes. there in in, uh, in Greater Augusta, Georgia. So hopefully we can talk to Ski next week uh, one last time before he hits the road uh, south. So Baker, thanks for being with us today. Appreciate it as always. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. And until we talk to you next time, uh, for Blake, Brad, and Baker, I'm Matt. This has been the Offseason Podcast. Oh yeah, kick it!